Welcome to a world of exploration, thought, and discussion sequentially through 156 episodes of Rod Serling's seminal classic, The Twilight Zone. Welcome to Submitted for Your Approval. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. Yes, a Twilight Zone podcast where we go episode by episode with guests of great, all all great guests, the greatest guests. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's good. It's, it's fun. It's fun. I'm, I'm back. I'm back for a time. We'll see how long I'm, I'm here for. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me and the show, facebook.com slash S4YA podcast, Instagram, S4YA underscore podcast, Twitter, S4YA underscore podcast, and then email S4YA podcast at gmail.com. There it is. There's your social media getting it out of the way. I will never say any of those things again, because what's important right now is that I have a scholar of literature and a fiction writer of short stories and novels. You know, he's currently writing a book titled Young, 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 and the Mythology. Yeah, Young. No, no, you can't say anything. That's a surprise. And the mythology of Star Wars. Ooh. Originally from the Midwest, he lives in he's lived in England, Ireland, and now resides in Eugene, Oregon, where he tutors students at Lane Community College. You know him, you love him. It's my friend Steve Groner Dellerhoff. Welcome back to the show. Ah, uh, thank you, Brandon. Ooh. Thank you for having me back. Ooh. Um, it's good to to be back and talking with you. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for this. No man, thank thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a long time uh, since since we've when since we've last talked, and uh, not only because I haven't recorded any episodes uh, in in forever, but also it's just we we haven't other than on Facebook, you know, briefly here and there, we haven't recorded an episode together uh, of the pilot, of the Twilight Zone for a long time. And uh, and this episode we have today is one that you said you wanted to do, and I I've, and I saved it for you. And thankfully, my burnout really, uh, <laughs> really, really helped uh, schedule this uh, time for us together. Yeah, no, I'm glad, and thank thank you for saving it. Um, it's a it's not an easy episode to talk about, but it I think it's a really important episode to talk about for all the reasons we'll get into. <laughs> agreed agreed yeah um it, how how have things been over on your in your neck of the woods again you said oh you're, gosh you're young, so yeah you know well i mean this is so uh, i mean since the last time you recorded all that too we've got this um the, the world has changed um <laughs> in in so many ways and um it's been such a a time where i feel like i have I don't know. I feel like every day I've awakened each morning and been like, am I in the twilight zone? <laughs> um, you know, yeah. um, you know, we've got the pandemic, we've got, um, everything going on and it has changed, uh, the world and our lives, uh, in, in so many ways. Um, and it, it's been, um, collectively it's been traumatic in so many different ways. We have all the, all the people who've died, um, we have um, all the people who've been sick and who are have recovered. We have the people who are still recovering. More people are going to die. And then we have people who, you know, very um, understandably are terrified right now mm-hmm. of, of getting sick. Um, and 
and then we have people who are disregarding it as as uh, something that isn't real at all. So um, all that, at least uh, by my lights, is a, a recipe for um, the Twilight Zone. Um, <laughs> it uh, it's almost like the Twilight Zone. Um, you know, if you're in, if you're a fan of the show and you know it, it's almost like in some ways, maybe it was preparing us for these times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it does have a cyclical sense to it. Uh, in a, in a lot of these episodes were, were, uh, much in the same way that they talk about network, uh, being very prescient, oh, sure. uh, of the, the 24 hour news cycle. And, uh, there's there's just there's so much in these episodes and in just listening to to rod's some of rod serling's speeches uh to like ucla or moorpark college uh just in the man himself um the the more things change the more they stay the same yeah so yeah spooky yeah indeed 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 well well hopefully you are healthy my friend yes yes i should say i'm i am one of the very lucky ones i'm fine okay all right um and you 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 i mean you sound fine yeah, are you well, fine no i i i am i'm doing good i'm doing good uh rest assured everybody that uh, i am i'm feeling a okay maybe a little bit of a headache but you know that's just yeah that's, that's just... par for 2020 <laughs> every every day i wake up like oh no here we go here we go let's go prepare the the ibuprofen (laughs) yeah uh well this this is actually you know i we didn't i didn't time this to talk about this episode right now um there's no there's no way i could have timed have planned this episode to come out really in, in a time of uh uh in the, in the world we live in, and I'm not talking about t- pandemics. You know, we're, we're we're talking about the the mass uh, Black Lives Matters protests and 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 and, and fighting against injustice, right? Uh, and so the episode we have today is a quality of mercy, which uh, originally aired December 26 in 1961, starring Dean Stockwell as Lieutenant Cattell, uh, Rayford Barnes as, as Watkins, Leonard Nimoy is is in there a little bit as as Hanson. And Albert Sammy as Sergeant Cazarano, directed by Buzz Kulik and written by Rod Serling, based on an idea by Sam Rolfe, who uh, was the creator of Have Gun Will Travel. Now, uh, before we get into the the episode itself, Steve, we got a little game. We got a little game. <laughs> I, I love games. <laughs> I I, pre- I prepped you for it a little bit. I've been I've been in lockdown on my own. Just a lonely, <laughs> lonely man. I need a game right now. You've been you've been you've been wait you've been waiting for somebody to just throw a game at you. That's right. <laughs> and guess what? It is time for you, me, and IMDB synopses, where you say a synopsis, I say one, and then we compare it to the the brilliant people at IMDB the synopsis factory. Awesome. Uh, so uh, why, don't, why don't you why don't you get us started? What, give us a one to two sentence synopsis of the episode. Okay, here's what I came up with. All right. An American lieutenant fresh on the field on the last day of World War II is ready to order the killing of Japanese soldiers holed up in a cave until he suddenly finds himself to be a Japanese lieutenant expected to kill American soldiers holed up in a cave earlier in the war. 
Ooh. <laughs> very, very good and succinct. It's a it, bit long. Could use some revision. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That's that's actually the next part of the game is is we we're fine and we oh and excellent we, yeah this we is, edit the synopsis this is the writing process yeah um all right so what'd uh, you come up with do you <laughs> hit me oh this this is uh my i i, I tried i try to keep it under uh, uh 13 words oh man <laughs> no just kidding haiku here we go <laughs> uh mine goes take a minute to walk in the other army's boots oh there it is See? wow quick that's beautiful. Quick and painless. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, let's compare those to IMDb, which says that the hotshot new Lieutenant Cattell tries to make his mark on the last day of World War II in the Pacific and gets a unique perspective on his actions. Hmm. Hmm. Hotshot? <laughs> yeah. Hotshot? <laughs> There's yeah, there, there's nothing really to to uh, there's no evidence that shows that he's a hotshot at all. No, he seems inept <laughs> like, to me. Yeah, when, like <laughs> like when you when you say hotshot, right? You're thinking like, oh yeah, this is yeah, sure he's talented, sure he he gets a job done, but you know he's uh, you you think of uh, Tom Cruise in Top Gun, you know? Right, he's yeah, and you think he's cocky. Um, um, but, but like you say, he gets the job done. Yeah. Um, but this guy, I don't get the sense that he gets the job done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's, he, 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 he seems like a, a guy who would be like, I wanted, I wanted no fat whip on, on my, uh, cappuccino. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I I agree that he seems very very inept, and I I think I think that's uh will take us into our actual discussion, Steve. Like, what are what are some of your initial thoughts on the episode? Well, you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up Black Lives Matter because, um, I mean, that's so much of this episode is about um, racism, and um. It's about uh, racism in war as well, which is a very specific thing. Um, and and it, specifically, we're dealing with uh, American soldiers uh, stationed in the Philippines at the end of World War II who have been fighting Japanese soldiers. And, um, and so you've got the very specific historical aspect of that conflict and that war and um and that racism there being dealt with um in 1961 um you know um 16 years after the war um so um so on the one hand you've got um the ongoing problem of racism but it's focused uh, and i i think uh, one of the things I keep trying to learn is to pay attention to the specific dynamics of pretty much anything. But uh, in this case, um, racism um, 
these are conditions that, um, while racism is a, a, a problem that is with us always, uh, here we see it manifested in, in a specific way, in a specific time and context. Yeah. Um, so um, that interests me a, a lot. Um, what what are some of your thoughts on as far as that goes? Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, I like I like that you you mentioned that um, like it's it, it's it's focused and especially in in war, right? You 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 almost have to. Uh, I, I, it feels like you would have to find a way to dehumanize the other side of the coin, uh, the, you know, the, your, your enemy. And I use that in quotes to, in order to, uh, you know, have justified your, to yourself, uh, that, you know, I have to point a gun at this person and I have to, sh- I have to shoot this person. And, uh, and, and how that ends up eventually translating itself into a specific dynamic of a racism, as you pointed out. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen a Jojo Rabbit. Um, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Uh, so I, 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 I watched Jojo Rabbit last night. Uh, coincidentally. All right. Um, and 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 tried not not to cry a lot, but it's a very very good movie. And it one of the interesting things out of that movie that I that I caught was uh, the uh, you know Jojo is is this ten year old boy. And he wants to uh, he wants he wants to be a Nazi, and then he starts learning about Jews. But uh, he's you know he still has this uh, thinks that they're monsters and thinks that they have horns and and all this type of stuff. And uh, eventually, you know, realizes that's not the not the case. But um, there there's a couple of characters that they're like, no, that's that's a, that's absurd. That's absurd. And then once the Americans invade uh germany or invade you know they they're out in berlin right uh some of the nazis have changed their thing like who cares about the the jews anymore like the americans and the brits they want to have sex with dogs and you know they want to they want to do all this stuff and so the 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 dehumanization of your enemy has, has shifted to what is who's actively attacking right yeah so so I, I so I took that from Jojo Rabbit. That was long winded and, and probably boring, but no, um, no. Uh, that, no, I'm glad I'm glad you bring that up. Um, yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, I, I mean that, that's that that's it. Really, is is like uh, well, yeah. The, I mean, it. I think it's. I think it helps here too because um, a quality of mercy um, comes from. I mean, speaking of. Um, We've got World War II, um, you know, even sort of peeking on into uh, the other um, so-called theater of war in Europe and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, here in this episode of Quality of Mercy, uh, that, of course, comes from, as Serling tells us at the end, it comes from The Merchant of Venice by um, by Shakespeare. And I am not a Shakespeare scholar. I just want <laughs> to <laughs> just want to get that out there. Uh, um, but, um, but that, uh, play the merchant of Venice, uh, features, um, some of, uh, 
it features some thoughts on the problem of anti-Semitism at the time. Hmm. Um, so Serling is pointing us back to the Merchant of Venice and that problem of othering people. Um, and uh, he does it in a way that's um, messy and, you know, uh, people who are Shakespeare scholars would be able to talk about this far more intelligently than I can. But, um, but he, it's, it, it, there's some, there's some correlations because on the one hand in the Merchant of Venice, on the one hand you have, um, you have the, um, speech that the soliloquy that equality of mercy comes from, actually comes um kind of late in the play um and it's uh it's from a, a woman um who's who's talking and there's uh um it's that's not really what the play is most famous for the play is, seems to be most famous for uh Shylock who is a Jewish um uh, money lender in Venice um who um, he has a speech which is uh, all about um, being Jewish and um, being a human being. Um, so uh, I, I've got a little bit of that here. Um, and it, you've probably heard this. It's, it's quite famous. But Shylock, he says... Um, he says, hath not a Jew eyes, hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is. If you prick us, do we not bleed? Um, and it goes on a little bit. Um, but obviously the character is arguing for his own humanity um and part of the problem um or or part of what makes this messy in this play is that he's also the play's villain so huh. uh, he he lends money to a guy and then uh and then they get and then um demands a pound of flesh to be paid back when the guy defaults on the loan and that's sort of one of the big problems and one of the big plot problems in the play. Hmm. Um, so you've got, you've got someone who's clearly cast as the villain who's Jewish. So we've got this minority. Also, it's a strange situation because you have an English playwright writing about people in Italy. But um, <laughs> so there's that remove as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that's going to be a little messy um, fighting for the humanity or, fighting and writing for the humanity of uh someone in an underrepresented group uh in your own culture uh and then making them the villain of the play at the same time and i feel like something similar is happening in our twilight zone episode um where we are clearly dealing with like you say the uh the othering of the enemy and that word comes again and again in this episode, the enemy, yeah. the enemy. Yeah. And at the same time we do it by putting a white actor in yellow face. 
<laughs> which yeah. is really which is a problem it's it it's it is it's, it um, very much that 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 part is it, it eternally it it was it was cringy to me when i was a kid uh yeah. it has it hasn't changed my opinion on it as an adult yeah it's weird well it's a weird thing and it, and it's a thing that um you know um i'm uh i'm i'm very very white um <laughs> Uh, you know, that, that my upbringing and, and who and what I am and all that. And the, you know, sort of the things we're living through now, um, is, is a, a time where all of this is thankfully being talked about and explored and, um, and a time to listen and a time to, um, to pay attention to underrepresented, uh, people from upper uh, underrepresented groups and everything. And I'm going to put my foot in my mouth <laughs> and um, I know I, and um, yeah, inevitably, it. and I apologize. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I'm, I want to do better. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, the yellow face uh, thing and, and how in some ways, this television show relies so much on the gothic mode of storytelling and how one of the mo one of the gothic modes sort of signature features is transgression and how they will do transgressive things throw stuff in your face that is not supposed to be thrown in your face um on purpose uh, to elicit effects and also to offseat you, sort of throw you off. Um, that, that, that's a that's a feature of of, of gothic. Of uh, gothic, yeah. And yeah. from the start, you know, I mean, um, from the start, my my favorite gothic novel is The Monk by Matthew Lewis, uh, which was published in 1796, and mm. it's such a such a creepy, such a such a creepy book, um, and. Uh, you know, it's full of like, there's like a ghost of the bleeding nun and there's like, um, there's like, uh, there's a monk who's, uh, who's really a, a woman who then turns out to be a servant of the devil and all this. It's great. Um, but there's a lot of transgression against, uh, the church against, you know, things that were, uh, um, at the time. Fairly, fair, yeah, sacred. Sacred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but the problem, the problem with this episode in terms of that, in terms of Yellowface being a transgressive act, like one of the effects that it has is it does, it is eerie and it is like, what, what it, it does throw you off or threw me off a bit and has always has. Cause I'm just like, why would they do that? Cause I'm thinking the entire time, why would they do that? But then I think in the context of the time, um, this wasn't transgressive. I, I mean, we had white actors playing um, yellow face. Um, and also, I, I, I mean, could you call it red face? You know, um, people, white actors playing, right. um, you know, American Indian roles in Westerns. 
um, you know, and they were playing the part of the American Indian, you know, that mythic creation, um, not specific um, people of specific nations and and cultures. Um, and this was this was like normal. I mean, even um, the latest example I really that sort of makes me go like, ugh, is <laughs> um, is actually um, Alec Guinness in uh, Passage of India. Oh yeah, right. Um, yeah, where he plays Professor Godbull. Um, he plays he he's in brownface, and it's 1984. So like that film was made in 1984. Um, like a passage to India. It's like um, what? Um, we've got this. Uh, and and yeah, I don't know. I just um. It, it it wasn't transgressive and it it it, so, it probably should have been yeah. <laughs> you know so, i mean obviously it should have been but um, so so is is it a is it a uh the the lens of of where of our perspective um, it's yes it taints uh taints that that um our our historical view of of, of him in uh being in yellow face for to to be a japanese uh, lieutenant right where whereas was back then it may back in 61 perhaps maybe it wasn't uh as as much of an issue yeah uh, because yeah, I, I, yeah yeah because because i mean again thinking about how how serling is uh and and knowing how he felt about race um that that this is, is is you know again my perspective in this uh, modern day uh i don't know how he how he could have justified that or or you know um con- condoned me like you know what it's it's implied that uh he it it, it is implied that dean stockwell is japanese because he's in a japanese uniform and he is surrounded by Japanese uh, soldiers. Um, to me, like, yeah, it's implied, but that's because here I am in uh, to twenty twenty, being yeah. like, yeah, you're you're right. We sh- we should get rid of, um, you know, uh, those those statues. Right. Yeah. I think I think you put your finger right on it. You know, people in nineteen sixty one were going to be. They were watching this from a different perspective than we are watching it and even from when if we saw this as kids in the the 90s on a rerun or something you know as teenagers or even as kids in the 80s um our our reading of it would have been different then as well so we always bring i feel we always bring who we are right now to a text and then um and that's gonna change uh, how we view it now. At the same time, I think it is valuable to look at the context of when it aired in 1961 and just sort of like try to imagine what, how it would have sat with people at the time. Um, and yeah, I, I think a lot of people then probably just took it for granted that white actors played uh, people of color in um in television shows and in some films and that that was socially acceptable at the time. Um, I think that I think, and what you're saying about Serling's 
ideas about race, his position and racism. Um, obviously, from the way this episode goes, uh, he... He, 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 it seems he wants to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and it's, and, and what's happened is it's, it's come out a bit messy, uh, you know, um, 50 years later. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I think, think about it like this. We, we mentioned, we mentioned, uh, brown face or red, red face, uh, and, uh, like, uh, white actors playing the, those roles yeah. and, and those, those are those you know those are white actors playing you know those protagonists and uh, uh charlie chen right Is that charlie chan Chen-Chan? oh yeah yeah sure uh, yeah the, that that type of stuff right yeah yeah and, and uh i i think what maybe uh changes it in this episode is that at the core it is still a white guy and in in, in the that uh, putting him in uh quote unquote Japanese makeup isn't to uh isn't to be like look look at us we're we're casting a white actor as as a Japanese uh soldier we're we're showing that you know un, deep inside he's he's still a, a racist ass american <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> um and so yeah like the, the makeup isn't to 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 glorify that we're um we're we're um the the makeup pit issues right it's it's to be like yeah yeah he's he's still a piece of crap <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah and and i think that's very much that that's how i read it too um and it's it's just a situation where it's like oh like you know you like one of, one of the things I love about this episode, like love about this episode, is seeing two uh, Japanese-American actors mm-hmm. on a 60s television show, um, early 60s. Like, how often do we see Japanese-Americans? Um, now, I, I haven't gone back and combed through television and watched a whole bunch of it, but um, I feel like I haven't seen... Um, Japanese American actors on TV from that era um in any role and it's just nice to see it's it, I don't know it's it's just like oh you're you you exist too it's like you actually do exist <laughs> like yeah, um yeah it's important it's important and uh it it it, it is you know the the uh, the the benefit of hindsight, I would I would say that um, it's it's just and kind of unfortunate that they are there they they do get a part and you know they get extra parts in the background uh, the his uh, his sergeant and then his uh, captain that they that they're there yes but that they're Again, it's only this episode. They they may have they may have had a significant roles in other series elsewhere, but that they were cast in the only place that they could be cast, which is as Japanese soldiers. Yeah, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I should do more on my part to to research that a little bit here on the back end, but um, I I think I think that that's interesting, and I I, I think that 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 character dean stockwell's character lieutenant cattell 
uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about like the, how the episode ends, right? World War, War World War Two ends, and so at, he learns his lesson at at the very end, but he doesn't he doesn't get to make a decision to do the right thing at all. He's just he's kind of left in this like mm. ah shit. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a jerk. Yeah. Okay, well the war's over. We just we just uh you know genocided a bunch of Japanese folks and with Hiroshima. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. There's yeah. There's, there's there's a bunch of stuff to unpack in that one sentence. But oh my god yeah. Um. But yeah, like he he doesn't he doesn't get the he doesn't get the opportunity to do the right thing in that in that moment. Like he his agency is is no the higher ups are, are are taking that away from him and and what what that you know looking past the the script what that character would then would then experience later on down the road yeah that's really interesting that's really interesting cuz it it makes me think that this is this is something that happens to him mm-hmm. uh, instead of something he does. Yeah, and exactly. that is an interesting situation in storytelling. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting. Yeah. Cause we don't see, we don't sort of see um, he tries to throw off the, uh, it's interesting because when he's in, when when he is the Japanese lieutenant, he he tries to ward the captain off of attacking this cave where American soldiers are holed up and wounded. Um, but then yeah, when he comes back, he's just the shots there. He has like no lines almost. He's just sort of like there are many shots of just his face being completely <laughs> confused, overwhelmed, yeah. bewildered, shocked. shocked. Yeah. yeah. Just like what? And then it's so economical because over those shots, you've got the background dialogue that you're talking about, like Nimoy getting the call that the war's pretty much over and all that. And then the Sarge confirming it, you get their, you know, brief little discussions about that, um while the while the camera is on Stockwell's face is being like what um <laughs> with, it is with, with the binoculars like uh yeah 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 and that's an interesting thing too i i the binoculars like huh. what do you think about the binoculars what is it about binoculars why why the binoculars what's what is it uh, uh, is is this is this an actual philosophical question it's j- yes and i have no <laughs> i have no um i mean i'm i'm interested in just sort of like amplifying that image um because each time the uh each time things change where where he goes through the change where he's suddenly a japanese lieutenant and then he's now he's back to being an american lieutenant um the binoculars drop on the ground or whatever and the <laughs> the second time they're broken. Right. But they, when they, when they fall, they, they make it, there's like a, there's a clang of sound and then the lighting shifts. Yeah. Um, so that tells us the viewer that 
something something peculiar has happened but well the well choice of binoculars is interesting well here here let me let me let me uh throw in my my uh uh what's what, my make-believe hat not make-believe yeah. um a pretentious hat let me throw in my yeah, pretent- pretentious it. hat here we go <clears throat> well you see steve uh <laughs> what does what do binoculars do binoculars magnify things mm. right and and when you're when you're looking through binoculars you are you are an observer and you are magnifying whatever it is that you are observing mm. now when when lieutenant Cattell drops the binoculars well that that impartial observation from a distance is it's a little bit it's it's broken a little bit right and that he he then transfers himself over as the japanese lieutenant now because because it's no it, it's no longer amplified or, or magnified it's no longer impartial he's 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 transported himself into the other side of the, the looking glass if you will if you will oh i will uh, and <laughs> and when and when he drops the binoculars again well that that sends him back that sends them back over. And then you'll notice that they're like completely broken. Then there's only, right. There's, it's only a, a nocular, an uni nocular. Right. Yeah. At some point you lose, he loses part of the, yeah. Right. It's broken. Like his, well, and it, I'm, I'm totally on board with you and I'm, this is, <laughs> this is, yes, this is all relevant. And I, just, it, I, I slapped it together, man. I slapped no, it together. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, it's that kind of exercise I find really useful because um, as soon as we start to amplify something like that in a work of art, it opens up these sort of avenues and we, and we can sort of find some of these, um, some of these aspects that are unconsciously there. Um, and uh, yeah, that binoculars totally, they throw us a great distance, um, our vision and vision is so, um, significant. It, it holds so many meanings as well. Um, but then it also cuts off the periphery. Um, like you can't, it, it, it both increases your vision, but it also narrows it so tightly that you, you lose a lot of what you can see. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the breaking of the lenses and all that, um, he's never going to see the same way again. Um, yeah. after this, that's oh. sort of the long term. So, I mean, but like you were saying, that doesn't speak to that, symbol doesn't speak to uh how his behavior is going to change or how he's going to um incorporate this into his his lived life um it, it speaks again more to something that has happened to him um it's uh yeah it's interesting it's almost yeah. like it's a, some kind of positive trauma he's gone through <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've, I've got, I got two thoughts on, on, on the the binoculars. Well, mm. one thought on binoculars, and then uh, kind of as a side, kind of offshoot of that. Um, it, it, it's the binoculars are broken. He can see his, he can see the periphery, and you, you as you said, sight being a really big, uh, an aspect of it, and the, the, I mean, uh, pe- people who say, yeah, I don't, I don't see color. I, I, you know, I see, oh, I, right, only, yeah. I only see, I only see people. Right. Right. <laughs> right, right. 
uh, and in the in, in even in the, in the in the army, you know, people be like, ah, you know, I don't see color, uh, and yeah, I I only see green. I just, everyone's green to me because I'm in the army. Uh, but you know, that's uh, I mean, that's just that's just not true because mm-hmm. color does exist, and and there are prejudices and uh, preconceived notions about folks based off based on their color, right? Yeah, and uh, binoculars. A binoculars, a binocular, <laughs> whatever. Uh, that device, it it's sh- it's it's it doesn't show you what's inside people. It only mm. shows it only shows you uh, what is skin deep, essentially. And uh, and and so putting himself in that position, breaking the glasses, breaking that uh, that that dimension of sight, uh, and actually putting himself in again the other army's boots yeah uh, allows yeah, yeah, him yeah. to to get that and that, that it transitions into the the second thing i want to mention was yeah he does he does say he does have that like oh no let's no we should protect the americans in the cave you know we sh- we shouldn't bomb we can just bypass them you know to use uh, what his sergeant said to him about the japanese soldiers in the in the cave and uh his that that's less about race and more about him being like oh no those are those are those are people on my side right those those are those are those are my countrymen uh you shouldn't kill them what why are you why are you doing that and so there's we talk about being messy and and problematic it could be viewed both ways where it's like I, i know the episode is trying to say uh there's there you know everyone like humanity and but there's a part of it where it still puts the and I know this is what I was doing, but puts the Japanese in the kind of same boat of being monsters. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so. So, yeah, like he's not being he's he's not being a good person in that moment. He's just he's just like, don't don't kill them. You no, those are the Americans. But he doesn't get that same moment when he is back as an American yeah no yeah that's that's right yeah he doesn't get the um he doesn't get the the tantrum uh that's not quite the right word but the the sort of like sudden anger of um you know they dropped a bomb on them how could they you know um he he doesn't get the yeah you don't feel like it's it he's totally been humanized by this experience (laughs) necessarily he's still uh he's still very much processing it and in shock. Um, but it would, you know, that would have been an interesting moment if getting the news that they, they dropped a bomb on Japan, if he had reacted as with, uh, how dare they or something, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that would have, that would have been a much different ending. Um. And, 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 uh, it, it would have been and let's uh, can i can i just say like the quality of mercy thing with uh, the her with the, the atomic bombs right yeah and and it being it being the end of a war and we talk about a quality of mercy it, like to me there's a big part of mercy being um uh not god damn it i forget the, i forget that the term but um uh where it's it's equal like mm. there, there's there was there was not a an, an equal uh meeting out of of uh destruction uh when we dropped the bomb on on them right right and right. like yeah cool um 
there it is. You, you, you shot up our, our folks in the cave while we dropped a, a, a bomb on you and you rebuilt over uh, 40 years. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because there's a, there's also the, um, you know, there were one, one bomb is mentioned, but there were two bombs, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. And, um, and another thing about this, um, this war and this conflict is that one of the things, actually the thing I love most about this episode is, uh, Sergeant Corsonero. Um, he's my favorite part of this episode. Yeah. Um, and there's so much in him that reminds me of the stories I heard from like my grandfather and, um, that generation of, um, you know, civilians who enlisted wanted to go, um, get this over with as quickly as possible, get it done and then go back home. And, um, one of the really, I think the best touches in the episode come out of Corsonero. Um, and there's some extremely subtle, well, I don't know if extremely, I'm, I'm, um, I'm exaggerating here, but, um, his, the, the, the idea of empathy comes out, especially of Corsonero again and again. And it happens extremely early in the episode. He's watching when they're shelling that cave at the start of the, of the episode, um, Corsonero's looking, um, at the cave getting shelled and he, he calls them bandy legged little buzzards. Um, he says they don't know when to quit. Um, but he says about the Japanese soldiers hold up in that cave. He says, those poor guys, like that, those three words, those poor guys, you already, you have a character exhibiting some sense of, um, of them at, well, of, uh, of sympathy for them, um, probably even empathy because this is at the, the end of the war. He and his platoon, they're like worn out. They're like, shirts are open. They're like laying around. They want to go home. They're sick and tired of all of this. Um, and later another drop from Corsonero, the Lieutenant is, uh, talking about like, you know, he's sort of like, I want the flamethrowers and phosphorus grenades ready and what, or whatever, you know? Yeah, right. And Corsonero says, I'd hate to be hit by one. Like that's another drop of like, well, what would it be like to be on the receiving end of this thing? Um, And then Corsonero finally does come out and say, you know, they're men, Lieutenant. I mean, the, the Lieutenant used, uses a, a shortening of Japanese that was common at the time, um, which is a, was used as a, a, a pejorative and a, a racist epithet. Um, and he uses it repeatedly and the Sarge says, corrects him and says, you know, they're men, Lieutenant. So Corsonero, um, Corsonero seems to understand at least that those, um, soldiers are 
people too, obviously, but mm-hmm. also that they're incredibly vulnerable. They're miserable um, in the situation that they're in. And that established early on and then carried throughout the episode um, really sets, does a lot of tone setting and a lot of like, um, it, it really steers us as audience members um, into to seeing uh, a side that isn't just kill, 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 kill them all. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. something that, that, that rings true with, again, um, um, things I heard growing up from family members who served at that time, um, you know? So this was, um, this was this was part of the war experience um and um recognizing the other as uh as people too and um it's a it's i i just i really like the way that comes out in corsonero especially he 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 says his takedown of lieutenant cattell a couple times (laughs) it's just it just it's so so great right uh because I, I've known, and I'm sure we've all known people like this who they, they come into an organization or they come into um, a, a group of, of people and they want to, they want to leave their, they want to leave their mark and uh, they, they want to, you know, they, they want to get some recognition or they want to make themselves feel like, like they're, they're better people or, you know, whatever leave their legacy and and to Cattell coming in uh, in in cause or, or you know the, the sergeant his he says uh calls him out on that like it's the end of the war and you're just trying to get your last uh last little bit in to so that you feel like a man and you feel like you're you coming out of straight out of the academy was was worth something uh and and calling him out for that being at the end of war and that coming out as um uh kind of in, inhumane a little bit blood bloodthirsty and i think one of the soldiers calls him blood bloodthirsty mm. uh um earlier on and uh yeah i he, there there's something else that they said i can't can't remember what it was but just along the lines of uh you know these these men have been out there for 24 months, 28 months, yeah. one of them said. And th- yeah. this dude, Dean Stockwell, coming out of straight out of uh bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, yeah. out of out of whatever academy, is like, no, I I was trained to kill pejorative words. Yeah, yeah. Um and these 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 men are they, they've they've experienced it and they they don't want to. And then one yeah. one dude stands up and he's like, look. Uh, we'll we'll do the job that we're supposed to do, but don't ask us to cheer about it. Yeah, that that guy Watkins, he's he's great. He um, he's yeah, he's just like no. Um, oh yeah, he he asked you know, will he want us to scalp them? Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. and I mean that draws up a whole history of uh of war crimes, war crimes exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it makes me think of the, um, the Clanton gang 
uh, in the 1840s, who then there's that novel Blood Meridian that all the all the literary types are like oh, have you read blood meridian <laughs> it's so incredibly baroque um <laughs> I, I, it is a great I, great novel but um <laughs> but, but but there are but there are other great novels too that's all exactly that's all that's come all on people <laughs> um but yeah that that it it his his line watkins line you know want us to scalp them it, it's uh and it speaks to it speaks to this platoon, this the depiction of this platoon saying, you know, we're not going to commit your war crimes for you, because um, we're we're sick of this, we're fed up, we want to go home. Yeah. Um, and you know, all that stuff you said, this this um, episode also makes me think of a Kurt Vonnegut short story that was never published in his lifetime lifetime. Um, but it's called great day. And he wrote it, I think around 1951, uh, it was published after he perished. Um, may he rest in heaven. Um, he always said, um, when I'm, when I, he, he, he used to say, if I should ever die, God forbid, um, please, <laughs> please, um, please say, oh, Kurt's up in heaven now. Cause that'll, that'll really make me laugh. He didn't believe in an afterlife, so I'm going to honor him that way. But anyway, this story, great day is about, it takes place in the future or it purportedly takes place in the future. It's told by, a uh, a, a soldier who was wounded in world war one. And he says that in the year like 2036 or 37, he was living in an, an earth where peace had um, had swept across the planet. And they still had a military, but it was in name only, really. And for training, they used this weird time field machine hmm. that sort of like brings back a bit of – you can dial in different – uh, times if you set it out on this piece of land. And so they, they draw up some of World War I. And, um, and unfortunately, this fellow, if you pass beyond a certain boundary, you'll get stuck in the time that's been drawn up. And unfortunately, uh, sort of the, the drill instructor for these soldiers in the future learning to be soldiers just to see what war was like and when it existed um the drill instructor is a, a real uh Cattell. and he mm -hmm. um he's like he, he like wants to kill and he he just wants to to uh he says he, he, there's a line he says i was born to fight i'm rusting out inside because i'm not able to fight um and he unfortunately and this poor narrator um, go beyond the boundary and are stuck back in, in 1918. Um, so, and of course, Vonnegut was a, a veteran and a veteran mm -hmm. who had been a POW as well and had a, a very traumatic war experience. So um, it's interesting to see different veterans. I mean, Serling, we've talked about this many times, of course, Serling's a veteran as well. Um, and so it's it's interesting to see them processing their war trauma through stories. Um, yeah. And I feel like this probably was an important piece of that processing for Serling. Yeah, in uh, 
in the the, the reference book that I use, uh, it, it it talks about how while Serling was in the Philippines, there's uh, in the 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 uh, situate um, the because they, when uh, Cattell transitions into a Japanese soldier, uh, they go back in time to earlier in the war, right? And in that particular moment was uh, a time that Serling was in the Philippines mm-hmm. and that moment. Uh, so he was, he was there for that. And while he was there, his, his father died. And uh, so he got word of that and he put in for emergency leave and he couldn't go back to, uh, they, the, the army denied it. Uh, oh, they, wow. they, they said he couldn't. And uh, so his his brother in in an interview had mentioned that Rod uh, was was unhappy with that, and so oh, the, yeah. the 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 author postulates that uh, perhaps there's there's some of that um, like the the need for killing, yet the lack of of humanity uh, and and empathy for for folks that the need to kill was was is was far greater than the need to take care of people yeah that's powerful that's um and i mean yeah i mean going through i mean going through a war is going to be quite enough to change your life um going through a war and losing your father and not being able to mourn that uh, and go through funeral rites with family because of the war, that's just going to affect things even more. Um, that's, um, there's a lot of pain there. Indeed. Def- definitely. Definitely. Well, well, Steve, uh, what, do you have any other, uh, kind of stray observations of, about the episode? Um, um, on that point of empathy, I just want to say, um, I uh, one of the whenever I teach, I haven't, I'm not teaching right now, but um, in the past, whenever I've taught writing courses, uh, sort of the beginning college writing course, our um, theme for the course has been empathy, because it's an interesting concept, uh, and it's it for quite a while i feel like it was floating around as sort of like a a buzzword you know um it was uh it was something a lot of people were saying we should strive for and all that um and i feel like in this episode it plays such an important role but there are also some uh potential pitfalls of of empathy and empathizing um that are worth noting uh, and you are you you touched on some of this too, uh, the idea of uh, well I don't see color you know um, I just see green, and also of the uh, binary opposition of us versus them, of the self and the other. Um, from what I what I've been able to glean about um, empathy from people who are studying it, writing about it, talking about it in all kinds of realms from literature to psychology to anthropology and so on. Um, Human beings seem to have a real strong tendency to empathize. Um, We also seem to have a real strong tendency to empathize with people who we perceive to be like us. 
and we seem to have greater difficulty empathizing with people who do not seem like us uh, or who we perceive to not be much like us. And um, I, I think this episode is reaching at trying to do some good because the Japanese people were obviously demonized um, and, you know, um, even you can go back and look at the, um, and I'm sure you've seen these too, like Dr. Seuss even drew, drew a bunch of racist cartoons in yeah. as war propaganda in which Japanese people are, are depicted in racist ways. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the us versus them um, problem is very visible in the ephemera and the printed material and so on that we still have from world war two and, and the, the way it was being talked about in America. So, um, so empathy is good. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's a great thing, but also, um, maybe that effort of, empathizing oh a hummingbird just went just buzzed my window i just had to say say that made a little podcast appearance here hummingbird um <laughs> the magic moment yeah um yeah empathize with the hummingbirds who come and visit while you're podcasting that was um, that was the that was the point of it yeah that's, yeah that was the point that was the, the, the whole point. episode was leading to this this moment well and you know maybe so because do we have to limit it to human beings like uh, I don't think so. I think we can uh, no. we can attempt at least to empathize with uh, hummingbirds, with uh, you know plant life, with whatever. Well, this is um, this is this is a real quick real quick side, um, and then I have a couple couple things that I wanted to mention that you you've said, hmm. but like empathizing with 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 animals, you're watching movies, right? Uh, a a lot of times if there's a dog that's about to get injured or, oh, or yeah. hurt it's people, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is me and a handful of others like, Oh no, hurt the person. You know, it's, it's fine. You hurt, you know, you kill the woman, but if that dog dies, I am going to be unhappy. Right. Right. That's an interesting, that's a, and that's a really interesting, um, that's a really interesting situation. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, people's um, bonds with dogs are so intimate. Yeah. So intimate. And, and many people develop these bonds in childhood. So they are some of the primary relationships in their lives from the beginning. And so the dogs become a part of their concept of their own family unit from an early age, or they can, you know. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my beloved aunt Kay in uh, Helena, Montana, like if you have anything, if like, like if there's any story, like movie, whatever, and something happens to an animal in it, like she won't watch it. Mm. And, um, and you know, I can respect that. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's why she doesn't like, uh, Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. She actually, <laughs> Yeah. Um, down with this sort of thing. Um, yeah, no time for it. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the other, the other, the other thing, two, two, two things, two kind of buzz words, buzz phrases, uh, that, that I'd heard before you talk about 
uh, it's more difficult for us to uh, have empathy for the other or, or folks that we don't necessarily uh, relate to to us um, for whatever reason, right? Uh, and, and that always that that takes me into like the the idea of confirmation bias, right? Where, oh, sure. where it, it's easier for us as humans to look at a piece of information uh, and and say this go this sticks to my currently it aligns my viewpoint currently so this must be this must be accurate uh and things that are outside of that 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 challenge my my bias like no that's clearly that that's fake that that's that's not accurate and and so Mm. humans again with this empathy the the outside empathy it makes it more difficult to to have to do that which which takes me to the other term that i i'd I'd seen recently and i think i got it from you as a matter of fact uh (laughs) because because you posted uh you you posted the quote from uh byron right oh right yeah Uh, yeah sure about intellectual empathy from the um oh shelley percy shelley yeah yeah shelley yeah his bff yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, intellectual empathy. Yeah. So I got, that's right. I got that from you. Wow. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> Here it is. Tying it, tying it back. Uh, like I, I'd never, I'd never seen that quote before. I'd never really uh, seen that, that term before. Uh, but the, the idea that, you know, you, you have to, you have to work for it. Yeah. There's, you know, you ha- yes. You, you, like empathy doesn't necessarily happen nat- naturally. Yes. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta put some muscle grease into it. Yes. Muscle grease all the way. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you're exactly right. I think, I think, um, well, and I have to say like that Shelley quote was new to me too, when I came up upon it, um, which is why I was like, what? Um, and <laughs> since I've, since I've taught about, since I've explored empathy, um, with, uh, students for, several years um I, you know it's great how it stuff still comes and you know if if i live a long long life then stuff will still keep coming up about empathy um I, i'll never have it figured out but um but that idea of needing to do the work and it's interesting that this episode comes out 16 years later um after the war um, I mean, were we seeing these kinds of takes uh, at the time in 1945? Uh, that's an interesting idea. I know Vonnegut talked about uh, trying to write his war novel um, for 20 years after the war ended and just failing for 20 years. Like how long maybe it takes a while for these things to uh, to process. Um but what a what a good thing to have to have created a story uh out of this attempt to try to walk a mile in the other's boots uh so to speak yeah. um I feel I like that exercise is worth it 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 comes out flawed um I don't know. I mean, yeah, it comes out flawed. Uh, it's going to be hard yeah. to make that come out flawless. I it, but um, I admire I, the attempt. To 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 that to that point. Um, the 
it's it it's trying right the 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 heart is in the right place right and uh there will be missteps there will be missteps in this this march and the other the other person's boots uh but what what's important is that you don't get so wrapped up in wanting to do it the exact right way and having to be the the exact perfect way that your message gets across and and change happens because you will you will mess up we you know we we will mess up you and i will mess oh, yeah. up yeah i'm in, sure i've in, messed in this, up in this in yeah. in this in this episode, this episode. <laughs> absolutely 100 percent. as we stumble over uh you know saying japanese soldier and um you know talking like just saying black face or yellow face or red face yeah. it, it it like is that even though we're 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 critiquing it saying it out loud does does that is that the right thing to do right um but so so missteps we will make missteps but the point is is that we're trying to to leave the world in a better place uh than than when we came in and so yeah. this episode mired in in kind of missteps through our lens our current lens uh still tried so yeah 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 um and and speaking of of trying uh how well do you think the episode did so every, everybody everybody rates every episode you you know sure, this, right right uh in in whichever in whichever uh rating scale that that you choose yeah uh, what do you uh what do you rate the episode overall um on my i usually use hedgehogs you know oh yeah you um, do <laughs> <laughs> um i th- it's it's hard um because um it's hard to so to qualify a rating um of a of a, a text that um has um tried to be anti-racist and made some ma- some racist moves in the process of trying to be anti-racist. <laughs> All right. Um, I think this episode is extremely, or could be extremely valuable uh, to study in terms of some things not to do. Don't put a white actor in yellow face. Don't do that. Don't do it. Um, so... I find it very historically valuable for for that reason, um, but also historically valuable in terms of here we have, uh, you know, if we can distill it down to Rod Serling, um, uh, we have his attempt to deal with racism at the end of the war and um, and the end of the war. Um, that's historically valuable in a in a fictional manner so um so while i (laughs) do think that it uh made some it makes some bad decisions and decisions we should not make going forward it's valuable um and i probably um am i gonna give it a perfect score Five hedgehogs out of five hedgehogs. I'm going to give it a perfect score, but not, but with those qualifications. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Five out of five hedgehogs. Um, I, I would, 
I can't do half hedgehogs um, because that, that feels weird. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've made that joke before. Uh, so I'll give it, uh, I'll give it, I'll give it uh, four and a baby hedgehog. Oh, a hoglet. Of, yeah. Is, are, is that what they're called? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, by the way, we'll, we'll talk about hedgehogs uh, probably after we're done recording. Cause I, I love, I don't know. I love those little guys. Anyways. Uh, yeah. uh, and I, so I'd give it a four and a baby uh, and a hoglet uh, because you've seen the Twilight Zone movie. I, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, not talking about the, the, the tragedy that happened in the Vic Morrow segment, but the they could have done uh, with um, Dean Stockwell what they did with Vic Morrow in there when they throw when they thrust him in uh, Vietnam and uh, he is the 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 people see him as a uh as a vietnamese a viet cong but you know we the audience we see him who he who he truly is and um so there's a there's i like the way they do that uh, because yeah we still see him as as a, a bigot and a piece of garbage uh but uh you know the we can see kind of from our perspective then what others like how evil others are by looking at him in, in that way. Yeah. I, I don't know if that, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, overall four, four and a hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Now this is, this is the last, this is the last bit of, of, of new stuff here, Steve. Uh, it's, it's something called choose your own ad- adventure. And uh, you know, this is where you get to choose a different ending for the episode. Okay. Um, if, if, uh, if, if you so choose, uh, but you have to, I guess. So it's, I mean, you can't choose to choose your own adventure. You, you have to, but. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, like how, if you could change the, the ending of the episode, how would you change it? And it could be, you know, uh, plot wise or just uh, mechanically as far as screenwriting goes. This is tough. This is tough. Um, I tried to come up with, um, I tossed around, like, I was like, what? How do I, huh? <laughs> um, and because um, I, I so admire the sort of like claptrap way Rod Serling um, opens his, his stories and then closes them. Um, you know, there is, a, there is a, an amazing ability there. Um, so on the one, so what I thought of the one, the thing I thought of was just absolutely ridiculous because I remembered that, um, that dictum that Jim Henson had about, um, how to end sketches. Um, if you don't know how to end it, you can just, um, have, uh, everybody blow up. You can have <laughs> stuff fall on them. Or you can have everybody eaten by something else. Um, those are the three endings. So um, <laughs> with Jim Henson's ending cell in mind, and also with my own curious interest in moles, I thought, what if um, they're on Corrigador? And what if, like, Corrigador woke up and it was like a giant mutant mole that comes up out of the cave and they both the american soldiers and the japanese soldiers have to fight together to to defeat the uh the monster mole um that was my really (laughs) stupid lame completely ridiculous dumb ending 
what I had in mind, though, <laughs> versus what I would do I'm, differently. I'm good. I'm good with that one. You're good <laughs> with that. You're okay with <laughs> <Yeah>. Corregidor. <laughs> Corregidor. Um, I'm well, back. It, <laughs> it, 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 it reminds me a lot of Watchmen. The, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Novel. Of course. Yeah, sure. Because that yeah. comes out of nowhere. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just, yeah. What the heck? Um, I'm just ripping off Alan Moore. Um, <laughs> no, what I thought that I would do different, not so much ending is, and this was sparked by Leonard Nimoy. What if they had just cast George Takei uh, in when he's the Japanese soldier, because I, I know that with his acting ability, he could have conveyed that he was Cattell inside. Um, that could have been an, a really interesting moment. And I think he would have played it better than Stockwell too. Cause I, I, I don't know. I have, I, I just like George Takei a lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also as someone who'd been interned, uh, in one of those internment camps as a child in America, it right. would be, uh, but that's all hindsight. That's if I could go back and do things <laughs> differently. Well, uh, yeah, I, he, I think he, I think he very well could have, he was in the, he was in a season five episode, the encounter. Oh, heck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, much again, talking about, uh, bigotry and, and racism. There you go. So you, you had, you had the right idea. You were, you you know, you were thinking about it. Like if you can, if, if you can go back in time, you'd be like, this is perfect. And yeah. maybe they, Oh, you know what? Maybe you, maybe you've given a time traveler an idea to go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, Oh damn it. We already, we already did the episode, uh, in season three. You know what? We'll, we'll bring, we'll bring George on for a season five episode. Yeah. There you go. Maybe. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Uh, what about what 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 was your um alternate ending uh not nothing as fun as corrigador <laughs> uh the, the, the giant the giant mole that uh, ozymandias created to unite <laughs> the world uh no i i my my the the biggest tone deaf issue of the episode for me other than the other than uh you know the Japanese makeup is is that he, the the bomb is what what ended it mm. uh, is is what ended the the episode and not that the bomb is what ended the episode in in the war but how 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 they didn't how, how there's no there's no commentary at all on well i mean yeah, we save. We didn't kill these guys in the in the cave, but we just we just obliterated it. Yeah, uh, an entire population, an entire people. Yeah, and in I think about this even growing up. I well, I think about it now, but growing up, we were always just kind of like, yeah, the the bombs ended the war, and like, yeah, we did it. You know, yeah, sure, a lot of people died, but it was for a it was for a greater cause, right? Um, and and just how uh, how awful that justification is yeah. uh, in 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 hindsight to be like no I don't I don't that doesn't justify it that sh- that doesn't excuse it, um, uh, so uh, you know even though there's there's you know there's if you ask the Koreans uh, there's they might have a different uh, opinion right there's sure. just God genocide is just all over the place in in history I don't I don't like it. anyways yeah yeah 
how would I, so how would I change it? <laughs> that didn't ask that, that would, didn't answer anything. Um, I would say that yes, a bomb gets dropped, but it's a bomb of love and, oh. and, 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 uh, uh, they, they hear about it and it's, it's some aliens, right? The, it wasn't even the Americans or the aliens. They, they drop a, a love bomb. Right. And the, the, the Japanese guys come out of the cave and they're like, uh, in you know, uh, there's a Japanese translator with within the uh, the the platoon of of Americans, and the Japanese soldiers are like friends, and the Americans are like, what did he say? Did he say friends? And then the translator's like, yeah, of course he said friends, right? And then <laughs> Americans are like, yeah, friends. And then uh, then they just kind of like they all get together, and the you know they're all tired, they're exhausted, and they they just like they kind of have uh, you know they just kind of have a sit down and. Uh, you know, talk about their families. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's, that's the end of it. Kumbaya. Uh, there we go. Naive Brandon. No. <laughs> well, Naive what, Brandon's adventure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, it would be, um, yeah, it would be nice to see some of these um, actors too, just sort of like, um, you know, opening up sort of like what you said earlier about, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that Dale Ishimoto and GH Fujikawa, you know, were just going to be cast as Japanese soldiers at that time and all that. Um, yeah. So getting, getting the home life out like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like let that's, them, let them be more than just soldiers. That's, that's how, that's how we, we, uh, get to know that's, that's how we grow yeah. is we, we learn about people. And what makes them tick, and then and then they're not others anymore. They are, they are us, and we are them. Yeah. All right. I also thought about this episode. Is this Quantum Leap episode zero? <laughs> because I, we've uh, got Al. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's. Damn it. That's I remember now. That's what was my my adventure was going to be. It just like a really really derivative uh <laughs> a quantum leap joke. Like and then uh, then uh, he looks and he sees his reflection inside the uh the like the one remaining binocular thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's and it's and it's uh, uh uh damn it. What's his what's his name? Uh from Quantum Leap. Oh, Scott Bakula? Scott Bakula. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's got back and he's like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes then it goes to credits. Yeah. There. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, and so, Serling coming up and like, you know, Lieutenant Cattell has just taken a quantum leap. And you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And in twenty uh, and, and years and it, you're gonna be able to enjoy this show. <laughs> it's gonna trust be a while. Us. Yeah, trust, trust me. Us. It's yeah, yeah, to another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Steve. Uh, thank, thanks, thanks a ton for talking about the episode. Yeah. I know it, it was it was a, a pretty a pretty heavy epi- episode, yeah. uh, especially especially where we are now. But I think it's again doesn't have to be perfect. But you know, the we're, the we're talking about it is 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 really important. So thank you for for doing that uh, with me today. Thanks for uh, trusting me to do that. I appreciate that. No, 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 no worries at all. Uh, I, I do have something else I want to talk to you about briefly, though. It's not about the episode. It's about Corrigador. Corrigador. The Corrigador, the, the giant mole. Uh, you wrote a book about Corrigador. 
just called Mole, published by Reaction Books, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes. Sorry. Yes, I did. Yes, I wrote a book called Mole um, for the Animal series by Reaction Books, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with the series, um, but they have put out uh, like a single volume on a different animal and uh they're they're up to like 80 of these now or something so there's you know dolphin and hedgehog and fox and rabbit and deer and all you know so there's um mole um i got to write mole i had the honor of writing mole um That's... and it just came out it did it did it did, did just come out uh thir- 13th of april it's a very special day a blessed day for <laughs> all kinds of reasons yeah it yeah it's uh one i i know your love of hedgehogs so the first the first thought that jumped out at me was oh wait that's not that's not the steve i know <laughs> um, but uh but the, but the second thing like um you're 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 a big big on Jungian psychology uh big vonnegut fan uh and you know when when i saw that you were not writing a uh, you're writing a, you wrote this book about moles uh i was kind of i was kind of not taken back but not really sure where, where it was coming from and i i looked at you know looking at the synopsis i'm like oh, okay no now now this this makes sense right so so like you go in you talk about myths you talk about fairy tales um and and moles in in that relationship uh, as well as talking about the animals themselves right that's right yeah so and this is what's really cool about the series of books is that well and about the hedgehog thing hedgehog had already been written so and it's a really good book too um it's it's amazing no it sucks it's not written by you (laughs) not at all not at all um it's what they do is they they go through each book will tell you about sort of like the evolution of the animal the ecology of the animal um and then it goes into human interactions with the animal human representations of the animal and human relationships with the animal so for mole it was a lot of fun because um because i got to go in and uh and look at first of all learn a whole bunch about how we think moles evolved um because that's still quite a mystery they live in a, a very strange habitat they a lot of people around the world live very close to moles but rarely see them because they live underground right hmm. so and and it's it's not an easy environment to live in so they have a lot of peculiar aspects to who they are and what they are. Um, then you have all of the things that human beings have mapped onto moles, projected onto them. And and some of my interest in Jungian psychology really sort of comes into play here as well. Um, but that idea of just taking one animal, one kind of animal, and then trying to collect as much information you can about the animal from every direction... Um, one of the greatest adventures I had in my life was shadowing Louise Chapman for a day in England. She is Norfolk's very own lady mole catcher. And <laughs> I got to spend a day with her uh, in and just 
making her rounds and she showed me how she reads the ground. And, you know, one of the strangest things about moles is that the people who probably know them the best are the people who have traditionally hunted them and laid traps for them. Um, they, moles are smarter than you would think they are. And hmm. it takes some real knowledge of them to be able to catch them. Um, and, you know, um, so that, and there's something poignant about that. There's something really human and poignant about it. Just sad about that to me. Um, but strange little creatures and, you know, there are parts in the book. I talk about mole people, um, and, um, and yeah. sort of that science fiction trope, um, there in there also, um, just the way moles have shown up, of course, in children's books and, and uh, sure yeah yeah, yeah. cartoons uh, and all that they're 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 blind they're just yeah. kind of they're always they're always kind of a uh, uh, subservient to the the other smarter animals yeah the, i mean the depictions and it's interesting once you take an animal one animal and do this you really start questioning you know like well why do we do that like why um what's behind that behavior of ours to um just like the the moles being blind thing that's a really interesting thing it's like well why um a great many species of moles can see um they're not blind some of them however are they, they their eyes never uh, fully develop they hmm. still have them but they never fully develop in certain species so um so it's interesting yeah it's definitely it was a lot of fun the strangest stuff i ever came upon in research I came upon in writing mole and I think it made me, I hope it made me a better researcher. Um, it definitely led me down alleys, um, that, <laughs> uh, I never anticipated going down. Let, let, <laughs> let, let you, let you down a, a mole hole. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yes. <laughs> right down the mole hole. Right down the mole. That's that. You, so did reaction books that they they come to you and say hey hey uh mr steve do you want to write a, a write a book about an, an animal and you said f yeah what are what are my options they're like you have moles or uh or <laughs> that actually or, that's pretty close to what happened except i approached them you know okay. i'd read um and there's a really good one. badger is a really good one uh by daniel heath justice um like uh, some of these, some of the people who've written these books are amazing scholars uh, themselves. So to be in their company is, is a real honor. Um, but yeah, I, I contacted the publisher and said, Hey, I'm a scholar. I've published on this, that, and the other. Um, I love this series. Would you, uh, would you allow me to, to write one? And yeah, they gave me a list of animals. They're like, these are the animals we're considering. And the first one on the list was mole. And I was like, well, here we go. Um, <laughs> there, there, there it is. Decisions made for me. Yep. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's awesome. I, I, there's, there's, there's something to be said uh, about just getting it, get it, being given a topic or, or having a topic presented to you and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work it. Yeah. Uh, and, and see wherever this, this, this takes us. Yeah. This book, I was on my walk the other day, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, this book kind of is the like ultimate fourth grade essay. Um, <laughs> you know, like, 
this is this is it like wow but i'm 40 um, <laughs> i'm not in fourth grade anymore but this is the same idea it's just really comprehensive and lots and lots of pictures too that was part of the fun my um one of one of the great uh moments for me was i uh, i was able to uh, accompany my mom to england for her 70th birthday and I sort of chauffeured her around to see things she wanted to see. And at Stonehenge, I got I got permission, unofficial permission. The guard said, <laughs> do it now, 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 to step over the electric fence, <sighs> keeping the sheep out of Stonehenge. And I got a photo of a molehill with Stonehenge in the background. And that was that was like a great moment in the oh, creation of this book and it's the first picture in the book so oh that's badass thank you to that guard who said go go now now <laughs> who's now who's now fired uh, i know as, i know but i know as his boss is listening to this episode right now i feel it's there's there's an ethical dilemma in sharing this story um but no identifying <laughs> features about this guard um except that he was uh, about 37 do we know it was a he well i mean i don't know oh oh oh. he she (laughs) was it a she i don't know uh you caught me you caught me in my bias was it i don't know bastard (laughs) no i'm just trying to protect the mostly innocent yeah it was uh their their name was alex which is you know it could that could be a man or a woman ambiguous (laughs) <laughs> well uh w- one i think it's i think it's it's super cool you talk about the fourth grade essays uh mm. it's in, in in similar ways as the the binoculars conversation we had earlier you, you you just you start pulling those those threads and really that's a lot of what uh psychology ends up being a lot of times is not necessarily not to make it seem like bullshit but like <laughs> like it, you, you you start from a a spot and then you you have to start from somewhere and then that somewhere that uh, creates that that the the threads of logic and kind of interesting places to go yeah. and so you talk about like a mole's literary and pop popular culture pop culture right they all those ideas come from a place uh and uh myth is a big big thing that, that you've dealt with so i i that's fascinating to me and uh although yes it's it starts as a thought exercise uh it turns into something well there's it comes from somewhere within each of us like yeah. there's a there's a truth in there somewhere sure anyways that was absolutely that was i love that thank you i love that like, yeah making stuff see i was making stuff up right there too so uh steve how 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 can people get a hold of you how can they how can they take a look at your book oh sure Uh, your books i should say because i know you got you got more than one man yeah we've got we got some books short we got some books that have been happening um yeah so i'm on twitter um at ellerhoff and i'm on instagram at ellerhoff and then i'm on the facebook at i have a a sort of writing page on Facebook, which is Ellerhoff's books. And, um, I have a website, uh, which is my full long ridiculous name, Steve Gronert Ellerhoff.net. Cause I love the dot net. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> it's different. As long as, not, it's different, as, long as it's you know? not uh geo sites. Oh yeah. You're, you're fine. 
heck yeah you know so but yeah you can find me there and um yeah some of my books are yeah they, they're they're around they're floating around and there's more on the way heck 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 yeah man heck yeah well well steve thank you so much for coming on the show talking to me about moles and talking about how we can be better allies to um to to everyone thank you brandon yeah and thank you for opening up this um and and giving us the chance to practice being um doing some anti-racist thinking and some of the work of empathizing um yes thank you for that i appreciate it any 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 time any time <laughs> i don't actually know how to, <laughs> well yeah how to, why not yeah, yeah. Any, any time yeah yeah i think that i think that's a good that's a good response <laughs> yeah i'm down <laughs>